You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Toy Story 4. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, Hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. (gasps) He's a spook. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. Come on. Bo? Bo? Hi there. My name is Gabby Gabby. We can't stay. <laughs> yes, you can. Boys. Ah! <laughs> Woody, behind you! Bo! What are you doing here? No time to explain. Come with me. We need to get back to our kid. Aw, oh, Sheriff Woody, always coming to the rescue. Bonnie needs Forky. Woody, who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this? Wow. Woody, aren't we going to Bonnie? What do we do, Buzz? What would Woody do? Jump out of a moving vehicle. Let's go! Hey, you gotta go, you gotta go. If you should ever leave me. You know, you've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. Bonnie? We're going home for you. God only knows. Bonnie, I'm coming! Kids lose their toys every day. I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Toy Story 4, and the story is as follows. Woody, Buzz Lightyear, and the rest of the gang embark on a road trip with Bonnie and a new toy named Forky. The adventurous journey turns into an unexpected reunion as Woody's slight detour leads him to his long-lost friend, Bo Peep. As Woody and Bo discuss the old days, they soon start to realize they're worlds apart when it comes to what they want from life as a toy. The film stars Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Annie Potts, Tony Hale, Keegan-Michael Key, Jordan Peele, Joan Cusack, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger, Blake Clark, Don Rickles, and Estelle Harris. It is directed by Josh Cooley, and it is written by Stephanie Folsom and Andrew Stanton. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Deanne Knighton. Hi, everyone. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, the sequel that none of us asked for because the original trilogy was so damn perfect. Mm -hmm. Toy Story 4. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, This movie, you know, sometimes I come across movies where uh, just like on an existential level or just how they are made from a filmmaking standpoint, I I sometimes consider them to be miracle movies uh, in that there's no way that a piece of art should be working on the level that it is uh, on your subconscious. And this is a movie that for me, just the sheer fact that it exists and that it does not tarnish the original trilogy, (laughs) Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean, (laughs) excuse me. 
Um, that is a small freaking miracle onto itself. I don't want to get into my full thoughts just quite yet about Toy Story 4. Suffice to say, I went in with my arms crossed, full skepticism. I was not excited for this movie because to me, it came off like it was potentially just another cash grab for Disney Pixar with their sequels. However, Disney Pixar, despite the trouble production, despite the push release dates, despite the fact that this whole entire franchise has taken 24 years to tell the story of Woody, they said that they had an idea for this movie. That was something that they kept coming back to over and over. They never revealed what it was. We knew that, uh, you know, we knew that Bo Peep was going to be here. We knew some of the toys were going to come back, obviously. And we knew that there would be new characters introduced. But we didn't know exactly what was the hook for this movie. What was the reason for Toy Story 4 to exist? Well, now we know. And I have to say, it was quite well earned. I want to pass it off first to Deanne. Deanne, what did you think of Toy Story 4? Well, I was just like you. I the, I remember when I heard that they were making a fourth, I was so angry. I Because I love that trilogy so much, and I thought that third piece was so perfect. Um, so I have kind of just been you know, kind of ignoring a lot of the chatter around it because it, it kind of bugged me. Um, but then as we got closer, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to see this. And you, you guys know that I'm a little bit quirky about trailers. I'm a little quirky about um, re reading much of anything about anything before I see it. And so I avoided everything related to this. I didn't see any trailers. I didn't look at the cast attached, none of it, because I like to have that experience just, you know, um, unadulterated when I can, unless I need to listen to trailers for the pod, in which case I will, um, or see trailers. Um, so I, uh, stepped into it. The first, we, we get started with it. And at first I'm like, okay, here we go. Same tropes, etc. And then as the film starts to kind of reveal itself, I was totally blown away. I really didn't think that they could do it, but they managed to find something very, mature and very adult and very important to um, to tell a story about that I just never even thought I knew I needed. So um, I also thought a lot of the new character introduction was done really well. I didn't expect that to work and it worked. Um, overall, I had a great time and I, I thought this was a great movie. All right. All right. Josh Parham, what about you? Well, first, I would say similarly to the two of you, I was also very skeptical going into this movie because I do think that the original three Toy Stories are as close to a perfect trilogy as you could ever get. And yeah, when I heard a fourth movie coming down the pike, I was very disgruntled, feeling like they were going to ruin it. And I do admit, I walked into this movie with an attitude of obviously wanting to like it, but being very skeptical as to whether or not they would be able to pull it off. And I will say that overall, I think I walked out this movie feeling generally satisfied and feeling like they actually did enough to justify this movie's existence. And I think that a lot of pieces of the story are well told. Um, I think I would say, uh, actually for me, Deanne, I kind of had the opposite reaction to you in terms of the story where I thought the beginning actually was really well done and it kind of lost me a little bit after act one where I felt like it was starting to drag a bit for me, but still had some interesting elements to the story. And ultimately, while I don't think it is anywhere near as strong as the previous three movies, I do think that there's enough in here to be entertained by. There is a nice message that they do end on. 
And yeah, I, I thought it was a good movie. I don't, I would not put it up there with like the best of Pixar, but it is a solidly entertaining movie for sure. I'm actually going to uh, say right now because I have a lot I want to say about this movie. I think we'll save it actually for a brief spoiler discussion at the end, just so we don't uh, ruin it for anyone that hasn't seen it yet. Uh, suffice to say, though, a part of me agrees with all of the thoughts that have been brought up here. I, I actually don't believe, yes, I don't believe that this is top tier uh, Pixar. However, I also have to look at that through the lens of we're comparing this to what is considered one of the best trilogies ever made and where each one of those films are considered perfect. The order, the ranking of which, which I will ask you all at the end, is so interchangeable, it feels like. Mm -hmm. You could ask anyone anywhere, and you might get a different order. Yeah. I mean, there's only so many combinations, obviously, but still. <laughs> right. And, you know, I was thinking about that, too, because I, you know, all of them kind of have their own message and pathos attached to them. And then they each have this kind of adventure at the core of it. And so I was like, you could almost look at those two things separately. Like what, like which adventure did I like the most or did I enjoy being on the most and which one had the message or like hit home the most? I, they're almost like two separate categories in a way. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because in this film, the thing that actually worked the least for me, I would say, was maybe the adventure aspect of it all. Uh, because it was like, all right, another toy has gone missing. It's another, we got to get this toy back to its owner sort of story. And I just felt like I have seen this before. And I actually feel that Toy Story 3's prison breakout set piece is probably the best yes. uh, for, for me at least. On the adventure standpoint, I agree three is the best by far. And then you have the trash compactor scene. But what they do here that is such an amazing hook in terms of the message is that with Toy Story 4, it's really Woody's story. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think that maybe a drawback potentially uh, is that some of the other original toys that we have come to love over the years, characters like Buzz, Jesse, Bullseye, Slinky, Pam, you know, Rex, I, I, I can name them all. <laughs> I've been I've been sitting with these characters for 24 years. I love them to death. Um, they kind of get short shrifted a little bit in favor of some of the uh, newer toys that come into play here. I would argue, though, that while that is objectively true of this movie, I would not say that it's necessarily um, a direct criticism when you consider the fact that, like I said, We've been with these toys for so many years. We already know so much about them. I'm perfectly okay with them taking a bit of a backslide to introducing some of these newer characters that are really, really a lot of fun. And most importantly, bringing back a character who sat out in Toy Story 3, Bo Peep, and reintroducing her and explaining what happened to her in this uh, prologue that we get in the beginning. Uh, it says it happened nine years ago. What happened to her? Why she wasn't in Toy Story 3? What has happened to her since then? And how now does her reintroduction into the story impact Woody? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think it's really interesting, too, because uh, the I was I like to like get in the mind sometimes of like the process of what do we want to make and why and pretend like I think that I know why people make the decisions I do, even though I'm fooling myself. <laughs> um, you know, I did this with us, too. And yeah, anyway, um, but I uh, was thinking through like and I can see the thought process of the way Toy Story 3 ended now in retrospect after seeing this film without 
any spoilers of realizing like, well, wait, what does this mean? You know, we know what's happening to Andy. We know that Woody is moving on to this new, this new situation that's going to bring him joy. But ultimately, is he just stuck in some sort of cycle, right? Or what is what does it mean for Woody? What does it mean for these actual characters that re- have come to exist in their own little universe, so to speak? And so I, I like I love how this kind of took that pivot and ran with the story, obviously for Woody and and kind of what it means for him. Um, and I thought that worked really well. And again, I think it gave it permission to exist in a way that makes sense. And I also just have to say. As I was sitting in the theater, um, despite all of my feelings about some of the stuff going on with Disney right now and my frustrations, I also felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude <laughs> that we have this, right? Because I, it's just, it's just mind-blowing how these films, you know, that are so rich and uh, so well-told and so original um, that that I can sit there as an adult and be excited to come on a podcast and talk for an hour and a half about a children's movie. You know, that's like pretty damn amazing. And it's also amazing that we get to, uh, another thing that I think I need to appreciate more is Tom Hanks. I was, you know, and the fact that he's been attached to this project for 20 years. And like, I think I take for granted, you know, his voice work and how vital he is to that character of Woody. And then how cool it is that Annie Potts kind of got to have her moment in the sun as Bo Peep in this one as well. So those were, you know, some of my overwhelming appreciate appreciations. I'll definitely get into Tom Hanks when we talk about Woody. But in terms of Bo Peep, a lot of people were asking me who was my MVP of the movie from the voice acting uh, department. And I have to say, I think it was Annie Potts. Uh, the fact that we didn't really get a chance to explore her character that much in the first two films. She was always kind of like the love interest to Woody, who every now and then would do something to help out uh, Woody and Buzz. And she was absent in three, and we find out, like I said before, we find out why. And here she gets a totally different uh, character, uh, a complete redesign, a rehaul. And I, I argued about this over the last couple of weeks, how I don't like how movies lately are displaying female characters in such an overt way to say, oh, look at us, we're being progressive right now because we have a line about female uh, progression in our film. And oh, don't, aren't you guys like really appreciative that we did this? Here is a movie where instead of basically telling you how you should feel, they give her all these attributes and all these qualities about her that shows Mm -hmm. that shows that she is an awesome character and it doesn't beat you over the head with it. And it also in terms of what they've set up before with her character from the previous films, I think it made complete perfect sense. Yeah, Yeah, there's a natural like progression to where that character starts from in the previous films to where she is now. And it does feel very genuine and believable. And I do appreciate that the story really took the time to flesh out that character in a realistic way, because it could have been very easy for them to take kind of, I would say, similar paths that they've given characters who have also been in um, kind of familiar settings that Bo Peep is in. And I'm glad that they found a way to make her seem realistic enough for that situation without seeming kind of like a tired trope that we've seen in other of their films. 
Yeah. And she, it's interesting because it almost like pulled from, made me think of like Indiana Jones, like in Jewel of the Nile and some of like the female characters and some of those adventure stories. And there still is like a little bit of an homage to that, but it's very slight, but, but then she's also very modern and appropriate. But um, yeah, I agree. She was great. I love that the Pixar uh, animators, the filmmakers, I love, 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 love that they fit in little homages to other classic films into their movies. Mm -hmm. Did you all catch the open the pod bay uh, doors, Hal, on uh, Buzz at one point when oh, he was uh, pressing it. the button? There's like little things in each one of the movies I find that is just a nod to a movie that they absolutely love. And I, I, I love that you can feel that these movies are made by people who genuinely love movies. Because we love movies. And there is such a connection that you feel then to that level of storytelling. And like you said before, Deanne, it's not just that surface level storytelling. There's also the nuance. There's also the fact that there are layers to pick apart where I might have a totally different interpretation of this story from something that, say, uh, you might get out of it or Josh might get out of it. And it works, I find. Uh, no matter which interpretation you have, I do find that each one of them in some way or another can fit. And that just goes to show how incredibly talented these filmmakers are at planning uh, these character arcs and making these characters feel completely three-dimensional and also having their stories be completely universal while taking an angle about, you know, we got to remember, these are toys. Toys in the real world. Yep. And each one of them does a great job of having us forget that, but then it brings it back in a way that is uh, subtle and also very clever that it reminds you, oh, yeah, these are just toys. Yeah. Like they, they're not living people or living things that exist within the real world. Yeah. I also was trying to think back about I, I feel overall in terms of the themes that this definitely has a little bit of the most darkest <laughs> um, mm. explorations. Mm -hmm. um, and we can talk about that when we get to spoilers a little bit. Potentially dark, meaning that they only have to be dark if you um, interpret them that way, like sure. the character of Forky, for example. Um, but also you have, um, I, this, you know, the antique store, the antique shop, which offers sort of this little bit of horror element and creepy vibe that I think is really cool too. So you have like Indiana Jones and then you have like old school horror, like mixed in there as well. Those ventriloquist dummies were <laughs> amazing. <laughs> They were. <laughs> I love that the film was so self-aware of how creepy they were that every single time they popped up on screen, a jump scare would happen. And after I would say the second time it happens, like for the third, fourth, maybe even fifth, I, I lost count after a while. But every single time they came on, they kept doing the jump scare and it became hysterically funny <laughs> and, and not in a, oh, this is really bad, but they really leaned into it. And so I also started thinking to myself, too, uh, like children, like children probably are scared to death of this right now. It, it's creepy. Yeah. You know, and Sid was creepy in the first one. Right. Like and he's destroying toys and there sure. was something kind of dark about all of that. But I agree. I got like I, I definitely th thought that they paid, you know, um, did a good job and kind of creating that environment. And the other piece I'll say is, like I said, I didn't look up the voice actors before, so I did not know who Gabby Gabby was the whole time, and it was making me crazy because I couldn't figure it out. Um, but um, I was really impressed with Christina Hendricks. She did a really great job, I think, with that character. I always say that the best villains are the ones whose motivations you can completely understand. 
They are three-dimensional characters that have complex emotions. And even though, obviously, there might be a sinister element to it all, it's something that we can completely understand. You know, I'm thinking, of course, of um, Killmonger in Black Panther, for example, or the Joker in The Dark Knight. And Gabby Gabby, to me, is such a great antagonist for this film because she starts off one way, ends up another way by the end, and through it all, there is no sharp left turn that that character takes or anything. Where Why did she end up start off one way and end up another way? It it's sense. all there, and, but it's just the way, the way that she's presented and how it gets us as an audience to maybe look at things from a different perspective much like how Woody has to look at things from a different perspective in this movie, I thought all of that was just so, so goddamn fitting. Yeah. <laughs> it really worked. <laughs> and I think I heard you say that they did they did something similar with lots of, what's his name, lots of... Yeah. Lots of hug and bear. Yeah. Hug, yeah, I think he was similarly developed. I agree, yes, but uh, instead with Lotso, they kind of went full evil uh, when you got to the trash compactor scene. And, That's you know, true. he makes that decision to not save them at the end. Uh, Gabby Gabby, they went. I was very, very, very happy that they took her in a different direction because at first the way she was being presented, I did get Lotso. I got like, Prospector I vibes. I don't want the same yeah, Exactly. Thing. Yeah. I was like, why are they retelling the same story over and over and over? But then when that character does take uh, the twist, and like I said, it's just simply all about perspective and how that also tied into uh, Woody's character arc in so many ways. I, I thought that was just brilliant writing. Yeah. I, I, I do think I have to say, though, that I think the initial comparisons to previous villains in the Toy Story movies did bother me, maybe just a little bit more than it did the two of you. And I think that's that's fine. And I totally see how they were able to make these slight changes with her character progression that do differ her from the other ones. But I do think that she does sort of have the same kind of foundation as those other villains. And I do think that considering that this movie had sort of a higher bar for me to clear in terms of coming up with truly like innovative things for me to really get into it. I think finding that much similarity did kind of stick with me a little bit more. And she, I would say that I think that the, uh, the voice acting by uh, Christina Hendricks is really good. I do like her performance and I do like some of the variations they do take with that character. But I, I also think that having those very similar foundations to other villains did annoy me a little bit more than I think it did for you guys. Okay, and I can completely recognize that because I felt that way at first. Like I said, I think that they made enough changes that it won me over by the end, especially because it does culminate in a very emotional moment as it pertains to a, uh, a human character. And there was like a, just a very relatable thing for me, uh, just hearkening back to my own childhood, uh, that... There was a there was a release there that um, I really responded to emotionally. So, Josh, you feel like there was room for more innovation there than they did. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, a, a bit. I think it's just that for me, like I said, walking into this movie, there was a lot that this movie had to do to kind of justify its existence. And when we get this this character who I think overall is well done it's and this is something that the all the toy story movies have kind of been guilty of even their best efforts is that they kind of take 
previous things from the movies and tweak them into a new setting. So it's nothing new that they've done. But I just think that the presentation of that character just felt so similar to me that even though it's well done, it did sort of feel like they were reaching back into, you know, their their toy box, as it were, to pull out stuff that has worked for them before. And it's like, yeah, it works for the story and I do enjoy it, but it's not to like, as you said, the level of innovation that I would expect from Pixar and from Toy Story films in particular. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, a character, though, that, I mean, the world, it seems like, is kind of universally agreed upon is uh, one of the best additions to the Toy Story universe precisely because it is an innovative idea that is introduced as the character of Forky, yes. who is uh, voiced by Tony Hale. And the reason why Forky is very uh, special is because this is a toy that is made by the owner from uh, – pieces of plastic and sticks and glue and so on and so forth. It is a handmade uh, creation that I know all of us here uh, at some point or another when we were in pre-K or whatever it was, we all made something out of sticks and glue and hairs and what have you. And I think that in just in terms of the voice acting from Tony Hale, the overall character design, and also too, just the ideas that character brings about to this story, it actually made this movie's initial hook for the first act really intriguing to me on so many ways. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's precisely because of how Woody on a character level responds to this creation that is quote unquote a toy, but doesn't see themselves as a toy. And yeah. one other thing I'll just say in regards to that is it also kind of maybe this is a detriment. I'm not sure. But it, for me, it harkened back to Toy Story 1 where Woody had to convince Buzz that he was a toy. And this was why, you know, what his real purpose and existence was. But I felt that even though it was repeating some of those similar steps again, they really took the time to use this to have Woody have a level of, in, uh, of uh, introspection with himself that I thought was very meaningful. See, to me, I wouldn't say the detriment to Forky is the inversion of that theme from the first movie. I would say it's more so that I don't think the movie really knows how to use him after the first act. I think that his introduction is really well done, and I think that there's a lot of great comedy there where he's like constantly trying to throw himself into the trash, and there's a lot of great... <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I love that so, so much. So funny. <laughs> a lot of great visual like comedy bits with that. That's all great. I think at a certain point, though, after that, when like they get to the antique shop and the carnival, they kind of sideline Forky, and he becomes kind of a MacGuffin in the film. And yeah, well, like a plot device. Yeah, it just sort of seems like after they get to the beginning, he just doesn't really like. The, it feels like the filmmakers just don't know how to really effectively integrate him into the rest of the story. So they kind of stick him to the side. They make him into a plot device, and. That is when I kind of lost interest in that character a little bit. He starts off really strong, but then I just don't feel like he's effectively used really throughout the rest of the story. Oh, that's so interesting because I feel completely the opposite. I, well, I liked him in the beginning as well, but he's my favorite part of the film because um, I think that's where like kind of the depth of the story and there's something um, that that kind of sets off Woody's story that's really important to the development of Forky and I don't want to do spoilers. So I might wait till the end yeah, to talk about, fine. to talk about why I thought that was so 
you know, thought his character was so great. But you're right. He kind of is just hanging out um, during the middle. But he is starting to develop and, like, understand the importance of connection. And, um, the, you know, that's ultimately you know, the point of his existence. And you do see some of that happening, even just when he, he has some connection with Gabby, interestingly enough. And um, I think that plays into the overall message of the story in a really important way. You know, you know what made me laugh? I, I, I remember I walked out of the theater when I saw this movie and my first thought was, how is it that this is the most existential film I have seen since First Reformed? Could somebody please tell me how that's even possible here? It totally is. I mean, it's insane. And yet for a child who doesn't think about it on those terms, it also fully works. And I was blown away by so much about this film just on that storytelling level that there's a bunch of other things, too, that from a child's perspective, I was really just getting a kick out of. I thought this movie tonally speaking, was a complete blast. I laughed so much, so much throughout. We talked about the trash uh, and how Forky's always trying to constantly get back in and Woody has to continuously pull him away. That is great comedy. Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele playing, what what are those characters' names again? Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought of them. Oh, there we go. There we go. Playing Ducky and Bunny. Uh, you know, yes, it's just Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele riffing off each other as animated characters, but we all love Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, so why the heck not, right? <laughs> yeah, and then they do that really cool thing where they intersplice their, you know, um, and actually show what their plans are. Oh, that like was that, great, too. That, and that's really the filmmakers more than those two, I think, but that that was very effective. That was some very fresh comedy that the yeah. series has not seen before that... I was gut-busting laughing throughout. I thought that was really, really great. And then, of course, there is the Internet's darling right now, Keanu Reeves, playing Duke Kaboom in what is a (laughs) very over-the-top, but perfectly utilizes Keanu Reeves' voice and just his overall tone for this character so, so well. I mean, it it reminded me a lot of how Michael Keaton as uh, Ken in Toy Story 3 kind of stole the show a little bit at times. Uh, and just how over the top and lovable. Yeah, well, lovable in the sense that they're they're in love with themselves, yeah. <laughs> sort of way. Um, but man, oh man, Duke Kaboom! It was that was a fun character. I really, really got a kick out of that. And I'm just going through the list here. There's so many great new characters. G- Giggle McDimples, uh, Ali Mackey. Uh, I thought was really, really funny uh, in that role as well. And yet. What I kind of keep coming back to is I, I I sometimes say to myself, yes, I understand that there's a lot of focus placed on these new characters, as I said earlier, and some of the other characters like Rex, Ham, Slinky, they, they're there, they're present, uh, but they don't get the same comedy moments or character arcs or anything like that. And a part of me just kept saying, well, do we need that? Because to me, it felt like the story of the original Andy's Room Toys culminated with Toy Story 3. And here, they're just there to help support the story. I don't really need that anymore. They all got their proper conclusions, but Woody is such a complex character and has always been the focal point of this entire franchise that he needs that full character arc to come full circle in terms of life after Andy. Uh, Even Buzz, who, once again... 
uh, Josh, you brought this up before, uh, just in terms of retreading uh, already uh, already covered ground. They 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 kind of do another thing with Buzz where yes, he's not questioning if he's a toy anymore. Thank God. Uh, but this whole listening to your inner voice thing is once again just another thing that they introduced specifically for this character. But they also found a way to tie it into Woody, and I just kept saying to myself, it's amazing that they're introducing all these different things for the other toys to do, but they all tie back to the central character. Well, I was just going to say just one thing concerning Buzz. Um, there's not a lot of this movie that like I would say I actively disliked. You know, even stuff that maybe wasn't just winning me over as much, I could see, okay, you know, maybe it's not like fully making me go like, oh my god, this is amazing, but I can understand how it can be enjoyable. I have to be honest, though. I actually was not a fan of what they did to Buzz in this film. With, with him listening to the inner voice? Yeah, I actually didn't really like that too much. And the reason is because they basically turned Buzz Lightyear into like a full-fledged idiot. Well, hasn't he always been, sort of? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Buzz has always been an idiot. I would say that he is somebody that certainly hasn't been like, especially if you compare him to Woody, he's not like as smart and in like intuitive as Woody, but Buzz, like, he was helping to lead the charge out of the prison break in Toy Story 3, like, you know, and I feel like that character is somebody that has not been somebody, like I said, who's been, like, a genius, but he's been very resourceful, and I don't know, I just felt like that dumped him down a little bit too much for me, and and what's funny is that Buzz isn't even, he isn't even my favorite character in the films, but I just sort of felt like having that whole inner voice thing took some took something away from that character. Maybe that's just me, but I that was the only thing that I just really kind of didn't like about the film. Well, I'll, I'll say two things in regards to that. And I think one of them is, once again, I think I tied this back to the writing of the film and the other one is a subconscious thing. The subconscious thing is, I feel like the reason why some people are okay with it and they're not harping on it so much as a criticism is because of how people view Tim Allen right now sure so the fact that he's voicing a character that's considered kind of an idiot i think is sitting okay with some people even if they're not consciously thinking that i think subconsciously they they might be thinking that uh so they kind of just you know push it under a rug and we're just we'll address it but we're not going to go deep into it you know what i mean and then the other thing with the writing gabby gabby in this kind of uh i don't want I, like i don't know like body horror-esque like sort of a macabre sort of way uh, wants Woody's uh, voice box, which in and of itself creepy. sounds creepy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's like an element of horror to that. And I, I also like that Buzz is the other character in this movie that has a voice box. You know, you push the button and Buzz says something. So like what I was saying before, just in terms of this idea of an inner voice and listening to what your gut is telling you you need to do and how this whole film is ultimately about life's purpose and how nobody can really kind of tell you what that is. You have to discover it for yourself. I found that there was just a unity here in terms of introducing that concept through other characters that, yes, is it kind of a, you know, kind of, how do I want to say a waste for Buzz? I don't want to say that necessarily. Did I, I do feel it was overused. I will give you that. I think they went to the joke a little bit too many times. It's a little bit obvious of a usage for, for Buzz, I would say. And I think that comes with the territory of wanting to focus on Woody. So 
when you have to use buzz, it has to be in a very more direct way. And I get that. But again, I think that when you're talking about Toy Story and appreciating so much of the complexity that these movies bring to their characters, it's great that that was applied to Woody. I just think that that fell by the wayside on a lot of other characters. And I just felt that particularly with the Buzz Lightyear character. I totally agree with you. I That was probably the least interesting part of the movie for me. And um, it was kind of unnecessary and almost felt like it just was there because, hey, we need to have Buzz in this movie. I was really okay with you know, the other characters kind of being sidelined. I mean, I don't think we all need a slinky movie, but I don't know, maybe. Right. Um, But um, I I agree with you. And, you know, I think if you look at um, the relationship Buzz and Woody have through the other three films, although it does move and and change a little bit, there always is sort of an underlying power struggle to the two of them. Um, And, and that just kind of is, is doesn't even show up here. And there's just, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like um, as as uh, true to the story or necessary, really. Mm-hmm. Um, just sticking with the side characters here for a brief second. Um, I, I really, really like that they still, even though it's very minimal, um, I think that the fact that the other toys from Andy's room uh, just get the bare minimum to do worked in their favor in terms of uh, utilizing uh, Don Rickles previously recorded uh, voice for uh, Mr. Potato Head for uh, certain moments because I Mm -hmm. did keep an eye out for how they were utilizing that. And it's very, very sparse, but I think it worked really well. Um, And there's a loving tribute to him in the credits that I really, really appreciated. And that was really, really sweet, I felt. Another uh, element as well that I really, really liked about the film, just in terms of theme here, is the theme of loyalty. And while that was obviously touched upon a lot in Toy Story 3 and the loyalty that the toys in Andy's room have to each other, and how this has always been a theme throughout the series of Woody's loyalty to uh, Andy, and now his loyalty to Bonnie, and his loyalty to the other toys, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I love that this film took the time to question at what point do you focus on yourself? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I saw in another movie earlier this year called uh, Diane, which was a really, really great independent uh, film. And it's something that I thought was extremely powerful there. And I think it's very powerful here because I see this a lot in life. I see this a lot with parents, especially. And I'll get into this more in our spoiler discussion. uh, But suffice to say, it was something that for me really, really resonated on an emotional and personal level that I'm not a parent, but I've seen this. I've seen this in life. And I love that the storytellers at Pixar were able to draw upon this to tell a story that felt needed, universal, and also for the love of God, do not roll the dice again and try to bring these characters back for another story because I I think they got away with a small miracle here in this movie not being considered, for lack of a better word, trash. So have they officially said this is the last one? No, of course thought- not. No. Okay. Um, okay. So quickly, just if I could throw this in, I wanted to 
um, mention quickly that there was no short at the beginning. Um, yeah. And, um, and I, you know, but oh my God, after that frozen one in front of Coco, I, oh. really, <laughs> that was one of the worst experiences. I was, could not believe what I was watching. So if it was going to be one of those, I don't want it anyway. But um, I think it's cool actually that Disney's starting this, you know, spark short program where they're going to be um, tr- trying to do a lot more with um, that short form in animation and kind mm-hmm. of build up, um, you know, kind of the next generation of animation. I, I, I mean, look, I whatever you want to say about Disney, I think that's cool. And, um, you know, I was okay with this not having a short. I think the, the credits... Um, had some nice little gems for us that you know yeah. kind of made it okay. What did you guys think of that? Well, uh, in regards to these characters, especially, and like, is this going to be the last Toy Story? And, and tying into what you're saying about the shorts there, Dean, I actually am perfectly okay with characters from this universe coming back in the form of shorts mm-hmm. or something for Disney Plus. I am right now today. I am not okay with another theatrical film. So if they want to utilize that to their advantage to still revisit these characters, they don't have to have it based within the canon necessarily of these four films. It could be like a day in the life, little things that they just go on as far as like little mini side quests. Yeah. Yeah. They have like a Halloween special and a Christmas special that I exactly. you guys have seen. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a forky thing on Disney plus apparently from what I understand. Of course there is. Yeah, but like but that but I'm okay with that. Because that's something that I can watch if I want to and it could be considered canon, doesn't have to be considered canon, you know, but it's not essential. I think these four films are essential and I just don't want them to get this idea because obviously this movie's gonna make a lot of money. It's already critically well acclaimed, it's already probably a front runner for the best animated feature Oscar of this year, which we'll get into in a second. I don't want them to get in their heads of, okay, let's go back to the well and let's make a fifth one. I don't care if it's 10 years from now and we're so far removed from this film, like we kind of were with Toy Story 3, that it felt like it was almost okay. (laughs) I just don't, I I, I think they need to move on. And I think that's a lot about what the themes of this film uh, are, is moving on. And I think Pixar themselves needed to do that. In an ideal world, they would. (laughs) <laughs> you sound skeptical. Don't put that negativity <laughs> on me, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Too much of a good thing is always a bad thing. That's like a rule of life. And I just don't understand why Hollywood cannot seem to understand this. Well, it's a lesson that they have yet to learn. <laughs> exactly. Uh, final thoughts. I know that we have final thoughts. Let's get to those final thoughts. Anything that we did not bring up that you want to bring up right now? Uh, Deanne, we'll start off with you in regards to Toy Story 4. I think most of my stuff is going to be in the spoiler section. So um, okay. I think I pretty much said for this portion what I wanted to mention. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, Josh, what about you? Yeah, I think I would agree that most of what I want to say is going to be in the spoiler section. I think the only thing that I would just mention is I would just tell everybody to stay until the very, very end of the movie because there is a nice little surprise for you. Oh, yes. yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. Good call. Dan, great out of 10. Um, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Josh? Uh, I'm going to land on a 7 out of 10, which, please, everybody, that means I like the movie. Just because I didn't think it was a masterpiece, I still liked it. <laughs> 7 is a good score. Yes. <laughs> got to remind is, people. <laughs> yes, just because I didn't think it was a masterpiece doesn't mean I thought it was a terrible movie. It's a good movie. Right. Go and see it. I was an 8 out of 10 throughout the entire movie until the waterworks came and I started crying. 
and I was like, damn it, they got me. Nine out of ten. You're a sucker. I am. (laughs) I am. There is a moment with Woody at the very, very end. Randy Newman's score pops in, and I just felt it, and I couldn't help myself, and I was a blubbering mess. (laughs) So, 9 out of 10 from me. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, just in terms of the enjoyable experience that I had in the theater while watching it. Like I said, it's funny. It's gorgeously animated. I can't believe we haven't touched upon that, actually. I am constantly impressed to keep finding new ways to animate these characters, to get the small details right with the lighting, the specks of dust. The antique shop is just completely gorgeous, especially during the scene where the light is coming through the windows and reflecting off of the glass and everything. Oh my God, it's so great. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me was um, in that beginning scene when they're trying to pull that race car in through the window, there is something about the way they animated that Car oh, with the, with I, the water and the mud and the rain. Did you yeah. guys notice that? It just like, I don't know. Yeah. It was stu- that was stunning. And I almost felt like it was a little bit of like, hey, let us display how good we are getting at this. I, I have a note here and I wrote a note that says weather. They, they have yeah. done an incredible job with weather effects. I mean, it looks so realistic. The only thing that doesn't look realistic still are the human characters but based within the uh, world of Pixar that they inhabit throughout majority of their films, and especially the Toy Story universe, the human characters look better than they ever have before. I mean, I I gotta say, I got a lot of comedy out of uh, Bonnie's dad with that RV. That was hysterical to me <laughs> so much. <laughs> what did he say? Like, the, oh. the dad's definitely gonna go to prison. <laughs> Yeah, I liked the navigation part. That was great. It's such a, a, like, old school concept, uh, but, oh, my God, that was really, really funny. So, oh, oh, and uh, let's not forget, Laurie Metcalf, Andy's mom, (laughs) back again. I I love how, like, a lot of people realized during her Lady Bird Oscar run that she was Andy's mom. That was was fantastic. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she uh, shows up here again, too, so that was really cool. All right, uh, we got our grades. Uh, Let's talk the Oscar potential before we get to spoiler discussion here. So in terms of its Oscar prospects, I mean, the Toy Story franchise has done extremely well for itself uh, throughout all three of its films in terms of the uh, Oscars. And so looking at Toy Story 1, for example, in uh, 1990, oh my God, 1985. Wow. It's going back. Uh, the film was nominated for original score, original song, original screenplay, and it won a special achievement award, uh, being the first feature animation film made from computers uh, fully. The animated feature prize uh, had not been introduced yet. We fast forward to Toy Story 2, 1999. Uh, only gets a nomination for original song. However, I think we can all agree that if the animated feature Oscar was there in 1999, it probably would have won it uh, both here and also for 1995, obviously, right. I think. Yeah. And then at the 83rd Academy Awards, Toy Story 3, incredible year for itself. Nomination for sound editing. It wins for Best Original Song. Randy Newman gets an Oscar. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, it wins Best Animated Feature and becomes only the third film and the last to this day in Academy Awards history to be nominated for Best Picture. So, where does all of that progression leave Toy Story 4? Hmm. Okay, so was there any original uh, music in this? There was one original song, right? Uh, There is an original song. I think that technically... I think technically speaking... uh, 
you know, the score here would be, yeah, the score would be eligible for original score, I think. I don't foresee that happening, though, as far as a nomination for Randy Newman again there. I think I think the, so- I think the song could, though. What do, you, what do you think there, Josh? I think the song maybe. I think it just depends on how the competition in that category shakes out. Yeah. I, I it was imagine. a really forgettable song, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's how I feel, too. If the category is weak this year, it could get in. But if it's a strong year, I don't see it happening. Yeah, and I don't think the score is going to get in. I think that as good as Randy Newman's music is, once you start getting further and further away from the first movie, it, it just starts to use you know variations of the same themes. And at a certain point, I think the music branch just doesn't really go for that anymore, unless it's like a really kind of big undeniable thing, like a Star Wars or a Lord of the Rings. So I don't really see the score getting in either. Maybe like the sound categories that could happen. Animated films tend to do well there in the past. But I kind of feel like most of it is is just going to fall on best animated feature for Toy Story 4. Yeah, I don't see this getting a screenplay nomination again. No. I think the reason why Toy Story 3 got some of the accolades it got was because it did feel like this was the end. Exactly. For this franchise. Right. And it was almost like a Return of the King scenario for the Toy Story (laughs) franchise. Yeah, so now they're like, well, we've done that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like Toy Story 4 was uh, potentially the the Hobbit films, but they actually it actually turned out good. (laughs) So um, I'm with you, Josh. I actually right now I only have Toy Story 4 predicted for a lone best animated feature nomination. Uh, However, as of today, it's my winner at the moment based on everything I've seen. Yeah, nothing for sound, huh? No, I'm not there yet. I mean, I got to see how these other contenders obviously shake out. Yeah, and, and right now, I would say it is definitely the front runner for Best Animated Feature. I don't know what could really unseat it. You know, maybe there's a, you know, a last-minute surprise, kind of like how Spider-Man was last year. But at this point, I really don't know what could beat it. We'll have to see if anything else comes out that can unseat that position uh, later in the year well there might be this feeling of we already did that in regards to when they awarded toy story 3 so when you look at the best animated feature category over the years i am 99 percent positive uh that no sequel has won in that category outside of toy story Uh, well but here's here's what i mean now in terms of not just narrate like a sequel. I'm talking like because the fact Toy Story one and two never won. Toy Story three was that win. There's never so been you, something oh, that's okay. won and then a sequel has won again. You know what I mean? Okay. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. I, I swear there was a year where like the field was really bad though, and we were oh uh, maybe that was just nominations. I guess I'm thinking of like um, like I Cars, think this could Cars fall the two. same way as Incredibles two last year almost. I'm getting that yeah. vibe where it's so early in the year and we think it's going to obviously sweep. And then to your point, Josh, I think something could come around later in the winter, like some sort of out of left field contender. Uh, I, I've been hearing that Netflix might have something coming from what I understand. They are trying to get into uh, the field of animation. Uh, yeah. Maybe there is a surprise awaiting us that we don't f- know. For all I know, pff, maybe The Lion King does get deemed an animated film. I know. I was just going to say. So, and what else? I guess we have, you know, the Trolls sequel. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that happening. <laughs> But it's also the same reason why I don't see Frozen uh, necessarily winning this category either. I feel like the 
animation field has always been a place to kind of reward innovative storytelling, something that feels fresh, new, and exciting. Or in the case of like like we said, Toy Story three, it was just it was it was unbeatable. It was just completely unstoppable that year. I don't know. I I think right now uh, it's pretty safe to say that Toy Story four is unbeatable at this point, but. Who knows? It's still early in the year. We're only halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think there is sort of something to be said about this category that, you know, despite its kind of initial reputation as being created as something just to really get more people to watch the Oscars, it kind of has evolved into something that really does want to try to find interesting movies to reward and not just have it be all of these like studio sequels. And I think we have started to see that in the last couple of years that they are trying to find something truly innovative to reward in this category. And, you know, Toy Story 4 certainly has the critical acclaim behind it. It's going to have the money behind it, certainly. And I think people will like it. But I do wonder if, as you said, Matt, there is going to be a little bit of a been there, done that with this movie. And maybe sort of very similar to Incredibles 2, it's like a de facto front runner just waiting for something else with enough passion to come behind it to take that uh, slot away from it. Well, we have Leica in the race this year with Early Man, right? That came out this year. Yeah. So, um, and I, I was a huge fan of Kubo and the Two Strings and um, was like really championing that film that year. So um, to your point, I mean, maybe maybe they decide they want to put some more emphasis on honoring some of, you know, like that studio that's trying to get some things off the ground. Um, but I don't think Early Man was as strong as the other Leica films. So uh, like I had had missing link, not early man. Oh, thank you so much <laughs> for correcting me. You can see how I would mix those two up. I uh, mean, totally. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> totally theme, but thank you, Josh. <laughs> no, I think that right now, because like I said, just the trend in best animated feature has been other than other than Toy Story 3, no sequel has ever won in this category. And like I said, Toy Story 3 was such a juggernaut. It was nominated for Best Picture. I mean, if by some miracle Toy Story 4 also gets nominated for Best Picture, then I think we can say, okay, it's it's over, it's done, check it off. But I don't think that that's going to happen here. So I no. do feel, to your point, Josh, that there is some foreign contender or something like a loving Vincent or something that's going to come along that's just going to be maybe something that's just more appealing on that level. I'm not sure, but... We'll see. We'll we'll see how it all shakes out. Maybe Toy Story Four will be the first uh, the first film at the Oscars to uh, win twice for a franchise in this category. We'll see. Uh, all right, moving on from that now. Uh, another reason why I think maybe some of the uh, potential Oscar buzz there for Toy Story Four might be a little shaky is because of, like I said before, it's comparisons to the other three films in the franchise. So if I asked you right now, Deanne, how would you rank the Toy Story franchise? Where does Toy Story 4 fall for you? Um, So I have all four of the Toy Story films in my top 10 um, of Pixar films. Um, So obviously they all rank high, um, but this one would be fourth of, of the films for me. Okay. All right, Josh? Yeah, I don't know where Toy Story 4 would rank in the entire Pixar pantheon for me. I haven't uh, gone back to update that list yet. It's a good entry. I don't know if it would be exceptionally high for me. I think it would be not middling, but maybe like in a second tier of their films. And because of that, I would also definitely say that of the four Toy Story-specific movies, 
this would be at the bottom for me in terms of those four films, but that still means that it's a good movie. It just exactly. means that the right. first three are like masterpieces and this one is just good. You know, it it's still an enjoyable film, but when you're comparing it to those three, I do think it comes up short. Right now, as of today, I actually have it at number nine in my overall me Pixar too. lineup. Yeah. yeah. I, I need to revisit some of the Pixar films. Uh, I, I, I've only seen Coco once. I want to rewatch it again because I have Coco at number 10 right below Toy Story me 4 at the too. moment. Wow. Do, you, do we have the same list? We've been creeping <laughs> on each other's letterboxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also one of those people who does not rank the Incredibles films as high as many others. So I actually have Incredibles just right outside of the uh, top 10 for, m- for myself. But in terms of ranking the entire series, I would say uh, for me, it's Toy Story 3. Toy Story 1, 2, then 4. That's yep. my ranking right now. Me too. I think I would agree, although 1 and 3 are so close to me. Like they, they interchange for me like on a daily basis. I mean, Toy Story 1 is my favorite film of 1995. Yeah. Easily. And Toy oh. Story 3 is not my favorite film of 2010, which, I mean, is saying something for my number one film of 2010. But Toy Story 3 was my number two that year. So, yeah. I mean... To have two of these films be in that level of contention for my favorite movies of their respective years, it just goes to show you how perfect this trilogy has been. Yeah. If Michael was here, he'd be standing hard for Toy Story 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. also great. Like, that's it is great. great. Thing about that trilogy is that even the movie that you put at number three is still a great film. Like, you still wouldn't argue with anybody who would want to put it at number one. Right. I would be very, very curious, Josh, if you're rating the seven out of 10 for Toy Story 4. I would be very curious to know if that changes over time. On the second I mean, it, it, it might. Like I said, there's not really a lot in this movie that is actively bad, and much of it is enjoyable. And I did like the movie. I think it's just that, and maybe this is my own personal thing, which, you know, you take into every movie that you ever see, but. Yep. You know, we are talking about Toy Story and we're talking about Pixar and Pixar's had 20 plus years of telling us how great of a studio they are when it comes to storytelling. And that comes with a certain standard, you know, and I've mentioned this before, how not all ratings are created equal. You know, you value different movies for different things. And when it comes to the Pixar standard, you know, I, I, I think we all expect something out of a Pixar movie to have a certain amount of quality to it. And for Toy Story 4, I think there's enough in there to like it and to enjoy it, but I just don't, I think it just kind of stops a little bit short of me of saying this is like one of their greatest movies ever created. It's an enjoyable film, and maybe I will like it more on another viewing when I don't have those expectations attached to it, but I do think that for me, it's good, but I didn't walk out feeling like this is an amazing movie. And for some of those reasons, I think we will actually get into in our spoiler section. Which we are about to get into now. So for those who have not seen Toy Story 4, we are about to talk about uh, some more of the revealing plot points of this movie. So uh, to that, I will say you've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast and you know where to subscribe to us if you have not already because we are basically everywhere. Um, I will have you guys do a sign off here uh, just in case people do decide to shut off the podcast now. Josh Parham, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Deanne? Um, uh, on Twitter at TweedledeeDee33. D33. That's the second time I've done that. <laughs> and you can find me at Next Best Picture. All right, let's talk about spoilers for Toy Story 4. 
got a friend in me You've got a friend in me When the road looks rough ahead And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed You just remember what your old past said Boy, you got a friend in me Yeah, you've got a friend in me all right, so the big reveal at the end of Toy Story 4 is that Woody decides that he's going to live the rest of his life, I mean, whatever that means, because apparently the toys are immortal, I, I suppose, uh, with Bo Peep away from the rest of uh, his uh, his family, the Andy's uh, toys, Bonnie's toys, and he's going to, I assume, stay within this carnival, this uh, antique shop area, helping out other toys. It's a little unclear, but the more important thing to take away from this is that Woody has dedicated, who has dedicated his entire life to um, an owner, if you will, has decided to move on with his life. And what I took away from this, and this is what I was saying before in terms of multiple layers of interpretation, I've always viewed Woody as a father figure to Andy. And then to Bonnie, yes. And I kind of feel that in many ways, the Toy Story films have tracked in such a way that Andy leaving for college is exactly what it's supposed to be for Woody. It's when your kid goes off to college. Okay, so now what do you do? Here is somebody that you have helped nurture from the time of birth up until the point where they go off to live their own life. And I feel that Toy Story 4 in many ways is dealing from a parent's point of view of what now? Uh, my kid that has lived in my home from day one that I've had to feed every day, drive to and from uh, practice, school, whatever, they're no longer there. So what do I do? And I feel that Woody is going through this very similar uh, crisis of not knowing necessarily what to do. So in many ways, I kind of viewed Bonnie as almost like Woody taking care of um, your, like your, your, your child's grandchild in a way, uh, in that this isn't necessarily your direct uh, kid and they, they, they're they really supposed to be being taken care of by somebody else, but you're there still continuously to help out and so on and so forth. And there kind of was this feeling I got from the movie of Woody having to accept that, yes, he will always be there as a parental figure, uh, but as you you know they, you get to or towards i don't know retirement or just the twilight years of your life or whatever you really need to look back on your legacy with pride and figure out for yourself how you want to live out the remaining days of your life and live for yourself and knowing that you've done good and i don't know that's just that's just what i took away from all of it what what, what did you guys think i totally agree with that and i would even add on to that and say that i think it also explores the idea of um, you know, kind of blind, blind loyalty, but maybe not even that's not the right word, but just um, what we think our purpose is and like how we create actions based on what we feel our purpose is. And that sometimes just because we feel like we're doing the right thing, it doesn't always mean that we are. Or, you know, we may love our kids with all of our heart, but we still could be, you know, uh, 
holding them back or making mistakes that aren't allowing them to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And so being overbearing. Yeah, exactly. And so I think they really show that in his relationship with Forky and how desperately he's kind of trying to make this thing happen. And it's all with good intention. And we all know that it's coming from a beautiful place inside of love and all of that. But at the same time, we can see from the peripheral that it, it may not be the thing that needs to be done. And I, I think to your point, I think um, that just kind of takes it to the, to the next level of, you know, being able to realize that sometimes. And it's a hard truth. Yeah. There's definitely a, a very heavy emphasis on like a parental role that Woody is inhabiting in this film. And I think that that is a particular focus that this movie is drawing that to its credit does make it rather unique in the series and I'll, I will say that I do think that that conclusion for Woody, it does feel very appropriate for that character. Um, it didn't really impact me as much as I think it, it could have. And parts of that are just because I think that, you know, just for whatever reason, it, that storyline just happens to affect other people than it would me. But I do think there is something outside of that movie that, makes that ending not have as much impact for me. And that is that as much as it wants to have a conclusion, it it's just cynically hard for me to believe that that is going to be the end of this story. And as much as I would want it to be and like to see that kind of a conclusion for these characters, it's hard for me to believe that that's really where it's going to end at. And I think that did take away a little bit of how much it emotionally could affect me in the story for me, unfortunately. Well, here's the funny thing is that Woody is a toy from the 1950s. So in many ways, you can track this since we're in 2019 that Woody is at the retirement age of his uh, lifespan. Uh, So I I feel like that kind of does track just a little bit in terms of how many years this toy has been within existence and what he has seen and gone through. And at that you know, stage in one's life now, you know, in the year of 2019, what he would be going through. However, as we, as we said before, the toys are technically speaking immortal. And I think that's where the final line of the film, which takes on new meaning, the famous line to infinity and beyond. I, I think that that was such a poignant line because it does touch upon to your point there, Josh, that to infinity and beyond for these toys can mean that generations of owners and kids and other toys will keep going and so will they unless if they get completely destroyed by some incinerator like in the third film or something like that (laughs) but otherwise uh it could also just represent you know for us on a, a human level you know the love that we have for our family is something that is just forever eternal and can carry on over into the next life to infinity and beyond. And I, I, I just feel that there is um, a power within that line that you can read into it however you want to read into. And it really does resonate on a universal level uh, for a lot of people out there. I, I was just going to say there's something kind of incredible to think that um, this really does speak to an entire generation of people who grew up watching these films and love these films and now are parents and are watching their kids grow up and then are experiencing, you know, um, the memories of all of this in the context of this fourth film and what in the message that it's kind of trying to convey. Uh, it's very meta if you think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. well, this movie yeah. really does kind of end with the idea that this series is kind of being passed on to a new generation. And I think that for a lot of people, one of the reasons why Toy Story 3 in particular was so 
poignant. And when I rewatched Toy Story 3 recently is probably the reason why I was like crying for five minutes nonstop is because those movies do have a very important touchstone to the generations that are watching them. And the way that Toy Story 3 ends, it is really a conclusion of Andy's relationship with those toys and kind of leaving them behind and pursuing you know, your aspirations of adulthood as you really leave your childhood behind. But I think Toy Story 4 really affirms the idea that, okay, this thing that you've kind of grown up with and that you've spent so much time with is kind of being moved on to somebody else to appreciate and to enjoy. And, you know, I and I think that's just a, kind of another thing that maybe I also have to realize with these movies is that they're kind of evolving into being presented for a generation that just isn't mine anymore. And not that that is necessarily bad. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that, but it is making the series different for me. And I think the movie ends with that realization, that meta-commentary, as you brought up, Deanne, that it does realize that it is becoming something different. And it does need to get passed on to people and to a new generation that are going to appreciate different things about it. And for that, I can appreciate that message, but, you know, rather selfishly, there's always going to be something about that is that's going to be a little bit lost for me. And yeah, uh, somebody else talk because I don't want to get emotional. No, 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 that's okay, because I felt that way with the Harry Potter films and how those characters grew up at the age that. I, I was when those films were coming out as well. And I felt like I was going on that same journey through life that those characters were going through. In many ways, Toy Story 4 for me, uh, yes, I'm sometimes kind of out of lock and step with the uh, story. I, I was five years old when Toy Story came out. So I was definitely Andy still playing with little toys <laughs> when that movie was, was, was around. And over the years, definitely, definitely when Toy Story 3 came out, um, I definitely had this very relatable feeling to that movie uh, and to Andy especially because I was two years older than what Andy was in Toy Story 3. Uh, Presumably, he's 18 years old. Um, And I was 20 when that film came out. And now, being 29 years old with Toy Story 4, and, you know, I'm not a... I'm not a senior citizen <laughs> that has had a family <laughs> and is, you know, re- nearing retirement and wants to go off and live uh, the rest of my days with my uh, <laughs> with my with my old flame. <laughs> That's what he does with Bo Peep, uh, which is another thing, too, that I, I really loved as far as um, Bo Peep's reintroduction into this movie. When I went back and I revisited uh, Toy Story 3, there were two things about Toy Story 3 that did feel like they were lacking for me that Toy Story 4 answered. And that was, yes, what became of Bo Peep? Woody has this beat in the third film where he reflects for a moment on what happened to Bo, and we never get the answer to that. So it always felt like this was tracking to come at some point, uh, or they just intentionally left it open, knowing that one day they could develop this. And from what I understand and have heard recently, Toy Story uh, 4 was being developed at the same time that Toy Story 3 was in production. So there you go. And then the other thing, too, that I always kind of wanted out of Toy Story 3 but felt like I never got was I did want to see Andy's gang of toys interact with Bonnie's new toys. So when Woody says to Buzz, oh, Buzz, Buzz, you haven't met Bonnie's toys. And then he starts introducing them as the camera pans up to the clouds. I I wanted to see that. I wanted to see that interaction. So in Toy Story 4, when we see that Woody is not Bonnie's favorite toy, and he's not getting the same level of attention that he got from Andy. 
But despite that, he still has that loyalty to Bonnie. In a lot of ways, I I don't know. For me personally, I'm going to get personal here for a second. I, I, I feel that way sometimes with my own grandparents who... Uh, every now and then, like I call them and I talk to them and stuff every now and then, but I, I feel like they're always constantly telling me, oh, you never come by. Oh, we wish you called more, you know? And <laughs> it, it's interesting how they want to have that connection and that uh, they have that loyalty to me as their grandson. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, 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 I don't belong to them directly. I belong to the generation that came uh, after them, to my, to my own mother and father. And so... The connection there is just a tad bit different. And I know that that varies for everybody here. But for me, I found a window into this movie and into Woody's mindset uh, that I was very easily able to relate to there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I Obviously, I'm a titch bit older than you are. Um, <laughs> and, um, I um, had a different experience with this. And I do think it's partially related to just like sort of where I am in my life right now to get personal for a second. But I've gone through a, like, a lot of change in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, it's amazing to like look back at things that I was so sure were always going to be a part of my life or that were so much a definition of my identity and who I am. And then to see that as those things shift and to let go of some of those things that everything's going to be okay and there can be, you know, a new journey in that, um, that, that was the piece of, you know, kind of Buzz's story that I connected to, even not as a mother, but just like as a human being. To Buzz or to Woody? I'm sorry, Woody. Oh, that's okay. What is my problem today? No, you're fine. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Just correct me. And that's the beauty of these movies that I would say, even the fourth one, which I liked but didn't like as much as the other ones, they do have a very specific message to them that so many different types of people can take something out of. And I think that that is, no matter how you slice it, is good storytelling. When you can find layers and different uh, viewpoints into the story, that is always going to be something to treasure out of these movies. Yeah. No, it's undoubtable uh, to me in so many ways. And I feel that even for myself, who isn't a parent yet, there's so much to learn from these movies that you can then apply to your own life and your in your relationship with your child. If I ever do have children one day, who knows? But there there are great life lessons to learn from the Toy Story films and just in, in regards to being loving, protective, but also not being overbearing and also understanding and coming to grips with the fact that nothing lasts forever. And there's such a such an interesting concept there because these toys technically do last forever, but the experiences that they go through don't last forever. And there are a lot of things that I've seen lately in entertainment and media that touch upon this theme. But I feel that Toy Story really nails it better than most, if not all of them. And that whole experience of not just having to let go, but coming to grips with letting go and realizing that it is okay. I I don't know. Woody's journey of realizing at the end of this film that it's okay to leave behind the people that you've been with for however long it's been in that world. But for us, it's been almost a quarter of a century, which is insane. Uh, That was the moment for me that made me cry was when uh, he said goodbye to Buzz. I lost it at that moment. I I held it in, 
pretty much throughout. And then when it got to that point, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't at that point. <laughs> You're making me cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> also, that was a sweet moment where he uh, gave Jesse the uh, sheriff's badge. I really like that. Because uh, to your uh, point, Josh, Buzz is kind of seen as almost like a dimwit now at this point. That that was also a nice little subtle thing where uh, he would pass the leadership role more onto Jesse, who's always been someone that always takes charge in many ways. So I, I really like that moment, too. Oh, yeah. It, it was a very sweet moment. But I think, unfortunately for me, <sighs> knowing that Toy Story 3 also just ended like so perfectly and we thought this is like the best that it could get and we still got a Toy Story 4, is it, it's just hard for me to really commit to the idea of a conclusion with these stories anymore. And maybe that's just a personal thing. And maybe you can say that's not fair to the movie because that's taking like the world of Disney going into it and kind of their ideas about continuing stories. And that's totally fair, but I can't like erase it completely, no matter how much I try to, whenever I watch one of their movies. And it was a very nice ending, but it was kind of difficult for me to totally erase my cynicism. Unfortunately, just to be clear, did you feel so? uh, All right. So I just want to know then, do you feel that this film justified its existence yes or no overall i would say yes i would say yes that it did justify its existence it answered questions that i didn't necessarily need answers to but Mm -hmm. it answered them effectively i would say that okay all right okay that's what i wanted to know for sure uh is there anything else from a spoiler standpoint that anybody else wants to talk about here Oh, just really quick. One last thing I think it's interesting, too, now in the context of everything we just talked about. Then you take the Forky character and this whole idea of creation and um, purpose and all of that related to that. I loved the way this film ended. And I, I, you know, some people may have found it. um, In fact, I was with a bunch of kids and they didn't even respond to it. And I laughed out loud so loud when (laughs) they asked Forky, like, what what did they ask him? Why are we here? Or why? uh, Like when the the knife asks him, why uh, am I alive? Why am I alive? Oh, my God. I thought that I thought that was so funny. And I'm just, you know, of course, the only 40 year old lady in the theater at 11 o'clock on a Friday, just (laughs) laughing so hard at this, like, very dark, but like amazing joke that I think played like I just thought that was a really interesting thing. That that is the beauty of these movies is that the toys are alive. But as the series matures, it gets us to question why are they alive and what is their purpose? And that's something that Woody talks about to the other toys in the room. And he tries to establish the buzz about uh, being there for Andy. And I just have to say, like, I'm just so, so surprised. I am so surprised. This might go down as the biggest surprise of the year for me, that they were able to still take these themes that we thought were presumably over with Toy Story 3 and still find new ways to explore them. And in my opinion, deeper and more mature ways uh, than what they were even able to explore in Toy Story 3 because there is something about Woody's character arc through the entire series that for me, I I think it might go down as one of the best character arcs in the history of film, if you ask me. And that's presuming they don't release a fifth film. That's a pretty big assumption. I, I know, I know, but I, I, I do. I know, I'm f- sitting here racking my brain. Oh, there's no, because I don't, I don't know what else they could possibly do 
at that point. There, I don't think there is anything that they could do that would reach the level of this because they're not going to kill the characters on screen and do it like a Michael Haneke more style of Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> they're oh, not going to do that. Toy Story 5, directed by Michael Haneke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, you know what? Yeah, I, I, get me excited to see it. <laughs> I think I think that's the best note to end on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I don't think it gets any better than that right there. So, oh my gosh, Dan, when you said at the beginning of the podcast here that you could hop on and talk about this for an hour and a half, I was like, "There's no way this is going to be an hour and a half long." We did it. <laughs> almost right. Yeah, we're almost we're almost there, but. <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, everyone that's stuck with us uh, throughout this conversation this far in. Uh, if you have anything that you want to say in regards to our review, have any questions or anything like that, please respond to us on social media. Let us know what you thought of Toy Story 4. And uh, we've already done our sign-offs. Um, I've already said where everybody can find us on the internet. Uh, Josh Parm, do you have anything else left to say before we go? Uh, no, I think we covered it all. It's a good movie. It's not as good as the other three, but that's like an impossible task. So it's a still it's still a fine film to watch. Absolutely. Go see it. Everyone needs to see it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Disney's really hurting for money right now. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to help them out. A little bailout here. Yeah, that's an entire conversation for an entirely <laughs> for different day. Time. I, know. <laughs> yeah. I know you guys had that recently. I think the two of you did. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. talked about yeah. it at great length. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, to infinity and beyond, I am Matt Neglia with the Next Best Picture Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Toy Story 4. You can subscribe to us on all of the podcast social networks, so be sure to do so. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, and you can support us by heading over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content, including uh, this week we're doing a review of Pixar's Inside Out to coincide with the release of Toy Story 4. So be on the lookout for that for our 2015 retrospective Inside Out. Thank you so much for listening to us once again, and we shall see you all next time.